I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Between the butcher. Oh yeah. And the block. Hey, I'm Rob. I'm Steve. <laughs> and this is Between the Butcher and the Block, episode one. One. That comes yeah. right after zero. Um, Steve, this whole thing was your idea, mate. So why don't you tell us why the hell are we doing a podcast? Why the hell? There's a few social uh, questions I'd like to ask. Um, I'd just but... ask the anti-social questions. <laughs> well, that's it. I think... We really just want to find out what people really think. We see things like Trump and Pauline Hanson, they're getting following. So as simple and as archaic and, let's say, stupid some of their ideas are, the mainstream have followed them. It is a podcast about what people think and some of the people might choose to be anonymous and and we are going to let them. 62 million people voted for Trump. Right. Somebody must like them. Somebody must agree with them, yeah. Yeah, I know a few people who do and quite publicly, but they are definitely in the minority of people that I know. Yeah. Um, how about people that you know? Um, I do know a few people. Mostly the people that I talk to don't like Trump, but I sort of feel like um, it's because it's a popularity vote for them because to say otherwise is almost admitting that you're racist. I, uh, yeah, I, I, think- I think he just wants to get the best person that he thinks he can get around him to do the best job. And that's that's women, that's old age, that's minority, that's anyone. That's that's my feeling of him. He just wants to do the job the best he thinks he can. Yeah, just that his his idea of who can do the job the best seems to be mostly old white evangelists. Yes. But I, <laughs> I, I sort of agreed with him in one regard where he said a long time ago that the Blue Bloods had full control, like the Rockefellers, the, the Kennedys, um, the Bushes, and all he was trying to do was take it out of that minority group and spread it amongst. And I think that he really has. Like he shut down some of the uh, money that he's paying out to the other countries, China and whatever, and he's creating manufacturing from within and there's jobs again. So it feels like that uh, it's been dispersed amongst the country more evenly. Yeah, but when it's a bit rich coming from him, he's a Trump. He inherited all his money. Um, yeah. In fact, he's lost more than he inherited. He's gone bankrupt three times. Um, so it's a bit rich for him to say all the blue bloods when he is one. Well, yes, uh, I, I guess. I don't know too much. I guess they're pretty tight over there and that blue blood is probably a little bit tighter than than he. Yeah. He's, he's on the outer rings of, of, of that circle, I guess. I can only assume. And, and and there's no doubt that he's only there for him and his connections to try and build up their portfolios. Yeah. But I, so as you can hear, we already have some big ideas and some differences of opinion, and that's what we're really hoping to um, encourage on this podcast. So 
you know, oh, no, it's another podcast about what people think. So in this day of there being 8 million podcasts, what makes ours different, Steve? <laughs> Ooh, what makes it? Well, we're right, I think, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I talk to people and I have no idea. I've got, I don't follow a lot of politics. I watch it here and there and I let things come to me um, almost organically. So I don't research a lot going way out of my way. I don't spend lots of hours. I try and do other things. But when I talk to people, people think, well, that's sort of, that's pretty sensible. So I think that whether it's left or right away, I think it's, I think my idea is pretty sane and, and sensible and, and most things are thought out. Most, there's a lot that aren't and I, I'm, I'm good for a quick um, idea that's probably not thought out, outlandish statements, my friend would say. But I think the same of you, whether I agree or not, I, I believe that you've thought about it, you've researched, you've come to your conclusion for a reason and if you can enlighten me some way, uh, that'd be great. If our guests can, that'd be great. But um, there's also that idea that the majority are, are laymen and don't have all that research at their hands either. So if we can give them some understanding and this, and let's say simple, for want of a better word, can can reflect back to um, a, a professional or an educated understanding, then maybe we can marry the two and get get to the get to the middle. Get yeah. to where the axe hits the block. So for me, it's that um, uh, I um, I am willing to have my mind changed. It doesn't happen terribly often, but it still does happen. Like, you know, today I was talking to someone from the hospital because I've got to go in and have a little procedure tomorrow. And they said, you know, do you have a religious belief? Do you have a religion? And I said, today? No, but, you know, you'll have to ask <laughs> me again tomorrow because that could change at any moment. And, and I think that... Um, you know, we're trying to get beyond dogma, um, although we all have our own dogma. And I think what we're interested in that is, is maybe a little different from the other podcasts I've heard that talk about ideas is we're not just interested in the ideas for their own sake, but how and why people come to those ideas. So we're really interested in people's stories, not just what do you believe, but how did you come to that? Um, because I think that actually connects us as human beings, even when we have radically different opinions, beliefs, even values. Yeah, sure. I agree. And 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 even more so, are you aware, and not you, but are people aware that their environment, their background, their experience has actually collaborated what they think today? Do they know that process has been undergirding how they think? Yeah. So we're really interested in that kind of construction of worldviews rather than yeah. just what is your worldview? What is it? How did it get there? I mean, I remember when you and I were talking a while ago at that coffee shop near my house that's open again now but only for takeaway, um, and you told me something very interesting from your studies in um, in divinity or religious study. I don't know what the correct term is. We're not putting on <laughs> correct terms here. Um, well, that's a good thing. We don't we don't know. We don't need them. Whatever, as long right. as the point's made. That's right. Um, and and you told me about how it came to be that in some parts of the world, um, the the creator spirit, God, if you whatever they call him, is up in the sky. You want to tell me yes. that story again because it's fascinating. Well, I, I, I did. I did read the book a long time ago, and I didn't get to read all of it. But the the, the main premise was that. Um, as a, as farmers, we were praying to the top of the mountain because that's where the water seemed to come from mostly. The rivers would flow downhill 
And it only just took like a notch of the head upward to decide that it's up in the sky. Yeah. So even the religion and some of the sacraments that we have today have evolved from um, the, those those small beginnings. I know the Sabbath um, has always been a day. This is um, back in Babylonia. The women would leave every month and have Sabbath outside the city walls. And then slowly it's just came into the Sabbath that we know today that Jesus talks off, that we all have the Sabbath off. But it actually came from not a not a pagan, but it's not a Christian ideal. It's not a it's not a Christian sacrament. It came through the Babylonians, yeah. And, and mostly all of us, like uh, um, even even the Viking law is very much similar to um, Cain and Abel and different stories that we have. All religions have the flood, so even a Christian idealist are they aware of where their belief system came from? So if we lived in a part of the world, for example, where the source of water was not rivers that were catchments that flowed down mountains, but rather was a spring, we might find ourselves locating our creator spirit downwards rather than upwards. Um, yeah, the fact that um, uh, uh, in the, um, the Middle East and Europe, where a lot of the water sources are in fact flowing rivers that flow downwards, it, it, it sort of makes sense. And also that the sun, you know, which is up there. And yeah, absolutely. So I find when I talk to a lot of experts and, you know, I do talk to them because they know more than me if I want to know about something and the way it is, um, I will ask them. But oftentimes they'll talk about the state of knowledge um, as it is, like here's the knowledge. Yes. Um, and they're less interested in that question of how did I come to have that knowledge or not how did I, how did we, how did we get to this point, and I, I think that's um, that's a really fascinating story because any state of knowledge is is the best the best explanation we have at the time, right? Yes, um, yeah, but that's right. I think a little digging we can find out how things uh, occurred. Like if we look at Hitler, we blame Hitler for World War Two, but we can go back to the 18th century with with Bismarck. The Germans always thought they were above everyone else. Well, they did in the 18th century with Bismarck. He wanted to do the same thing then. So this has been an ideology that's developed through those centuries in Germany and 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 Prussia and that sort of region, the Habsburgs. It probably goes right back to the Holy Roman Empire, right? Yes, yeah, that, the yes. German Roman emperors, as it were. Yeah, it, there's another one I read recently about anti-Semitism that that people now are just growing into anti-Semitism. Um, but that, that sort of belief grew out of uh, the, the Black Plague, that Jews were bringing in this disease with the rats. So, yes, people now have that inclination or that alienation or it's almost inherited through their family. Yeah, it's a knee-jerk reaction, right? Yes, and yes. we don't know where it comes from. And, it, and if you ask, you get all these funny stories about all the control, all the world's wealth and all this sort of stuff. And, yeah, so it, it's absolutely. And one thing that as humans we seem to always fall back on if we're not very wary is scapegoating. When something goes wrong, we want to be able to point a finger at someone. Yes, and yes. Someone is never us. But as they say, when you're pointing a finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. So yeah. I think we're interested in, in those three fingers. What are they pointing at? What are they showing? And not to blame ourselves, but what are they showing about us, about our thought processes, about our history, about our um, 
um, generational kind of beliefs and values that inform the things we believe today. So it won't always be us talking. Sorry, folks, this week it is. You'll just have to put up with it. But we'll be having (laughs) hopefully a couple of people on each week um, and exploring what matters to them, what motivates them and, and where that sort of thing came from. Yes, yes. And because we have a shared background with Shakespeare, who one of your famous quotes that I recall is that you never really know with Shakespeare. And that will be our point too, that a lot of the time I I may just be personally um, posing devil's advocate. Have you considered this? Have you thought that? Do you realise this this is where that mainstream thought came from? And and, and if if they're not aware of how these uh, thoughts that they're so believing so earnestly today came from, then maybe we can crack them. And that's that's been a big one of my life, the things that I've got to a certain age where I've thought, well, how did I get to that stage? And I went back to those core beliefs and where it came from and took apart myself that way so that I could have a different look at the world. Yeah, and you get to see both the advantages and the disadvantages, right? So it's not all bad stuff going back and looking at where your beliefs came from. So, like, I know that for me, um, having done way too much introspection and therapy and counselling and all that sort of stuff. Um, You know, one of the the big things that keeps coming up in my life is um, not not being heard or not being seen. And that stems from some very early experiences. I'm not going to lay the blame at my parents' feet, but my my parents um, would often dismiss what I had to say or, you know, tell me to be quiet. Well, it wasn't just them. I had a lot of encounters with authority in particular yeah. where my experience was not being seen or heard. And, and that, that's led to some things that have stymied me in terms of, like, my automatic reflex is to go, well, I'm not being listened to. Um, but on the other side, it's also led me to my various careers and, um, you know, the things that I, I do quite well, which is like when you're, when you're a, a teacher and an actor, guess what your job is? Being seen and being heard. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. But now realising that 400 years later, um, not quite that old, but you know, now <laughs> realising that, I can go, oh, right. Well, it's given me these good things, but I also understand the limitations and where it's actually stopped me from getting what I, what I want and the kinds of relationships that I want to have with other people. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. And in that way, having known that of yourself where you want to put your voice forward, then you can know within yourself, well, is it just me wanting to be heard and seen or do I have a point behind this that makes it urgent for me to get it out into the macro system? And that's Absolutely. typically now you can sit back and go, this is actually really important. That's why I'm putting it forward now at this age, whereas maybe in our 20s we're just blah, just putting it all out there. So you've outed us both as, as having, a, having a relationship with Shakespeare. Yes. Um, let's dig into that a little more, shall we? So I'd say that is it fair to say, Steve, that neither of us sort of like grew up loving Shakespeare or, you know, we weren't those high school kids are like, oh, it's time for Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. Uh, look, I certainly wasn't. I hated Shakespeare. Is that I, I don't know whether I had that voice when I was 16 or 15. You still do. I, <laughs> <laughs> I 
I actually was. I was a lover of literature, and I suppose probably I didn't understand the deeper um, connotations of, of of Shakespeare and a lot of his words. I was a lover of literature and the beat and the meter of, of his of his words. Sorry, did you say the beat and the meat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, Cleopatra, um, Ophelia. Um, Ophelia, yeah. <laughs> But I actually did a Hamlet in grade 10, I think, and at the time I had a friend who was uh, doing TV shows and he was an extra on TVs and he was a he was an actor. Um, he got an A+. a plus. The, the truth is, though, it spent, I spent months and months. I watched the Mel Gibson. I tried to copy him. I cut it down into every <laughs> little section, worked on it endlessly. I don't think I did anything else that year. I got an A. My mate rolled in that day. They said, do this. He got an A+. Plus. But I, I don't have to tell everyone that when I relate the story. No, I'm not naturally gifted. He is. He is really good. And, and, and watching you perform too, I see the different character take over the, the performance. And I see that in him too. And, and that's probably what drew me to. I'm not a, a natural actor, but I, I do like to see somebody different rather than the person that I know every day. And that's what that's what drew me to acting, seeing those performances where the, the real person is hidden behind who they're trying to portray. Oh, the lady doth protest too much, methinks. Oh, you're a fine <laughs> actor, Steve. Um, and, in fact, that is how we met. Can we say a little bit more about how we met? So we met doing Shakespeare. We met. Um, we don't have to say who was who, but um, we passed each other in prison. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think we, the f- we worked together in, in prison. That's where we met. Yeah, yeah. I think the first time I was Lady Macbeth, wasn't I? You were Lady Macbeth. And a fine woman too. Uh, yeah, well, you just you grabbed that character with both hands. Everyone else was going, well, oh, I-, I don't really want to play Lady Macbeth. I don't want to, you know. And you said, well, that's a great role. I'll do it. And you um, you made it your own. Absolutely she- made it your own. And that's the, the key, I think. And that's, that is, to get back to the point you made before, I think that's the reason that I am now, that I, you know, have grown up, you know, when I was younger, as I said, I hated Shakespeare. And, in fact, at one point I think I had the hubris, hubris, I just like using that word because people then think I know what I mean, but I don't, um, to say I will never do Shakespeare, I hate Shakespeare, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, for my pride, um, I now do lots of Shakespeare. Um, and uh, I think it's really, really amazing when people bring themselves to it, when they connect this really richly written character with what their own experiences are, the sorts of things we're talking about here. Who are you? What does it mean to you? And what it means to you is not going to be the same as what it means. And the reason you only got an A, I would say, rather than an A+, plus is because maybe you looked too much at Mel Gibson's Hamlet and thought that's the right Hamlet there, whereas the right Hamlet is the Hamlet that connects with whoever's playing Hamlet that day at that time. Yes, Um, yes. Actors often ask me, well, they don't ask me, I ask them, I kind of tease them. I go, well, okay, so you're playing, let's say, Hamlet. How many people do you reckon have played this role before in the last 400-odd years? It's got to be thousands, if not tens. 10,000, yeah. 10,000, good. Okay, Steve. So 10,000 actors have played this role before you. How many of those actors do you reckon are better actors than you? 
9,999 possibly. <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> so then my next, and yeah, anyone who's not a complete tosser is going to say, well, probably lots of them. And then I say, so what gives you the right to play this role? What have you got to give to this role that 1,000 or 9,999 other actors haven't already done and better? And the answer can only be one thing. I've got one thing to bring and that's me. There's no other me has ever existed or will ever exist. Therefore, my Hamlet, the one that connects with me, is going to speak, you know. And that, that's what eventually brought me round to Shakespeare was that when I saw actors not trying to do, to get it right, to go, oh, there's a right way to do it and my job is to do that, you know, where they stand there with a freaking cod piece and their hand up in the air going, no, I'm doing Shakespeare now, yeah. <laughs> Um, but they just bring themselves to it. And you sort of uh, quoted me before um, with regards to what Shakespeare thinks. And I, I, what I always say is, look, you can study Shakespeare for your whole life. You can perform Shakespeare for your whole life. I don't really study him. I perform and direct him. Um, and he's dead, so he can't stop me. Um, and out of copyright. Uh, but um, you can spend your whole life studying Shakespeare and Shakespeare's works, and many people do, many people do, and you will never, ever know what William Shakespeare thought about anything, what his opinion was, because he writes every single side of the argument. Um, and that brings us back to kind of what we're about here. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And his writing, such as the diversity, is almost like our own lives, through every two years, sometimes it's two days with me or, or some people, your whole point of view can change and it can just be an instant that turns everything that you've thought on its angle. So uh, Shakespeare's the same where we can read lines today and, and have that innate understanding of what Shakespeare might have meant or how it connects to, to me. But in 10 years' time, I'll read and have a whole different philosophy about what he meant or how I connect to that piece. Absolutely. I love to say, the main reason I say it is because it pisses off the, um, the posh Shakespeare people, that yes. Shakespeare was the Simpsons of his day. Yeah. What I yep. mean by that, of course, is that all of his characters were yellow and only had four fingers. No, that's not what I mean by that. What I mean <laughs> they were by, farmers. <laughs> what I mean by that is that, um, you know, I remember watching Shakes, watching The Simpsons when I was, what, 20, and when I watch it now, I, it's a different beast to me. And, and and my kid, she loved it when she was three. Why? Because they were bright and funny. And then when she was eight, she got a whole different thing out of it. Now she's older still, she's getting it on a different level and a different level than I would get it on. And, and, and Shakespeare's like that too. And any really great accessible literature, drama, human being um, or to be able to operate on all those levels. Um, and I think I think that when we let ourselves, every human being is. So, you know, I work among university types. I work among um, people who are homeless. I work among people in prisons. I work among um, um, actors, you know, and, and there are people in all of those spheres who get stuck in a, an archetype, if not a stereotype. So university professors, for example, 
a lot of them, not all of them, not even the majority, they get stuck in this kind of erudite and intellectual and academic way of being and way of talking, and then it becomes the only way they can communicate, and then they can only communicate with a very narrow um, portion of the spectrum of humanity. Same with, you know, folks uh, in, uh, in, in mental health facilities. Some of them will fall into this, uh, I'm sick, I'm unwell, and it narrows their scope of how they can talk and how they can think. But my encounters, wherever I go, my best encounters, my most valuable encounters have been with people who can actually talk and function and operate on many, many levels. And there's no reason why the, the high security prisoner who never finished um, high school or my mum who actually never finished primary school can't talk to a university professor with 12 degrees and, you know, who's published 20 books or whatever. Um, and, and that's something that I think that I am and I imagine you are also interested in, in opening up is we can all talk to each other about the most complicated and the most simple and stupid things. Yes, I agree. Um, so Kenneth Robinson does a TED Talk on university professors and that they are just heads walking around, that their body has just is just the tool to carry them from class to class. What you're saying is exactly right. So, And the problem is, like you say, that when we're talking on a certain level, it's hard to pass that context through all the time. And, and, and I think that's the problem with widestream social media. People don't want to put themselves out there because somebody from some angle can just tear them apart. Whereas in reality, it doesn't matter what we're saying about anything, somebody can tear us apart from an angle. I mean, someone can say, why are we doing this now? There's kids starving in Africa. Well, yes, that's true. And Singer says that all the time, just because they're out of our sight. It's not that we don't care about them, but... Um, we have to move on with our direction in life. And that's the problem with, I think, people not inserting themselves into the narrative. Possibly their parents let them talk at the dinner table or whatever, so they don't feel like they need to get out there. Oh, yeah. But it's also <laughs> some of what they believe is probably a mainstream and, and, and middle view can just be crucified by the public. And so we that's what I think. I think can we get them on our show can we ask them those really deep and profound questions possibly they've never thought of and it's okay for them to say whatever floods into their mind? That's right. It's okay to say anything. It doesn't mean that we won't question it and attempt to pick holes in it. But there's, we're going to do that no matter what you say. You know, yes. if you say yes. all the right things, we'll pick holes in that. So that's, that's a lovely invitation. So there are, there are people... <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 going to make it all worthwhile picking holes in people. Yeah, and we hope that they will pick holes in us too. Oh well, um, I've got pretty big deep holes, so I, I'm easy for them. They're not going to need a thread and needle. <laughs> they can, you heard they can it here, crowbars. Steve has a pretty big deep hole. You won't hear that anywhere else, but you can hear it on the butcher and the block. <laughs> so. <laughs> We have a few people in mind that we're going to ask on and hopefully they'll say yes. But, look, if you are a person who has some strong opinions on anything at all and you want to have a chat to us uh, between the butcher and the block, 
we still haven't figured out which one of us is which. And, you know, maybe we'll just swap these. Um, get in touch with us. Jump on our Facebook page, Between the Butcher and the Block. Send us a message and, hey, we'll talk. You can be as foolish as us. That's pretty hard, man. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the idea. I, I, like I watched Ricky Gervais and I watched him and Russell Brand the other day. Uh, Ricky Gervais is pretty deep. And though, like he offended everyone at the at the Oscars and that's probably what we're going to do. We're going to offend all those uppity people or even some of those people out there. But life is just so short. That's, they're just words. Ricky Gervais said the other day that we are not here for 85 million years. We have hopefully 60, 70, 80 years of life. And then we're not here again for another 80 million eternity. Like, it's no big deal. Let's just enjoy ourselves and have fun. And, and that was an invitation for anyone out there who believes in reincarnation to come on and argue with us. I'm a big believer in reincarnation. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. There, and we could have a few truths unfold here today or in, in the preceding <laughs> weeks. Um, I instantly have likings towards people or dislikings. But I, I ask myself, well, is that just my consciousness that's that's trying? I used to talk with a lot of psychs and 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 experts in that sort of field because I I argue that if I read a book about whatever it is this this idea today, and I've done it in my own experience and, and testing, I go and talk to people, and what I've got out of that recent book comes up out of their conversation, and I can say, oh yes, I can see, but trying to have a holistic view of all the books I've read in, in psychology, I think is too great a task. So usually I think just what's prominent in the mind is what is pulled out of those conversations. And and so I ask that of myself when I take a dislike to someone, years later I think, ah, that's why. Excellent. But you've raised something which I get, an example of that is I was just talking to someone the other day yes. about, you know, when we have a strong reaction to a strong negative reaction to someone, there, there are people who say, uh, psychologists who say that uh, often when we have a strong negative reaction to something in someone's personality, it's usually something that's also true of us that hasn't been addressed yet. And of I course, I go, No, 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 that's no, I don't like him because he's a so and so. And then I stop and think about it and go, oh, wait, yeah, I do that too. I actually do. Um, yeah. So well, that, that will be another pivotal point for us. Um, one of us has spent time in prison and straight away if someone well, says yes. We've both spent time in prison. Just we've both spent amount. time in prison. One, one of us, us has got spent... to leave at the end of the day is the difference. <laughs> yes. But if, if one of us had a particularly sane thought and said, I believe A, Without knowing the past, let's say the majority of people say, yeah, that's a sound view. Okay, I agree with that. But if that same said quote came from a criminal or someone who people thought came from from the criminal background, or the, they would straight away discount it. And that's what's happening with, with Trump, to get back to Trump. <laughs> Whatever he does, people are just going to attack and pull down. Oh, yes. In politics, it's it's extremely powerful. Labels, and yeah. I think we apply labels, which is what you're saying, if I understand you, we apply labels all the time, even when we're not aware of it. But there are people who will knee-jerk, oh, that came from someone who's on that side of politics, I must oppose it. 
And so they look for the negative, the thing to disagree with. Whereas this came from the same side of politics as me, therefore I interpret it in a charitable light. Yes. Um, it's these labels, labels, uh, labels uh, really get in the way of true understanding. Yes, that's right. So if we can find that middle ground for people where they might not know where the other one is coming from, especially in our backgrounds, if people side with us and then find out years later this, 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 maybe they can have a different perspective about criminals. But the other thing to that is if people are taking such, um, if they're taking such offence when they see criminals and, and, and typically the media purports that we're, that all criminals are rapists, pedophiles, murderers. The worst, That's probably about 10% that are like that. The rest of the criminals, let's say, are stupid kids that do stupid things, steal, fight, break, and then and, and they're not out to harm anyone. But, I mean, that's, that's another debate. But that must also mean that the larger population see in themselves criminal traits. You know, um, Sister Helen Prejean, who, um, if you've ever seen the film Dead Man Walking, that's about her, right? Yes, the, yes. The Susan Sarandon character. So she's Sean a real Penn. person. Um, and she said this thing that I love to quote, which is, uh, we shouldn't judge people by the worst thing they've ever done. You know, imagine anyone. Just think about the worst thing you've ever done and imagine being labelled, having that label tattooed onto your forehead and, and people just assuming that is who you are. So when you say someone is a murderer, well, the vast, vast majority of murderers have committed one murder, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to excuse the action no. in any way, but um, it's not the sum of who they are. Um, well, and if you go to the other side, you know, um, well, we're seeing this a lot in the media now, so a great football champion. Okay, so he's or she has played football many times, but still it is not the sum of who they are. They might be, um, you know, someone who loves their children as well as that, or they might be someone who beats their children. I mean, it's, 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 it's when we just see people in this one dimension that we yep. lose that wealth that is every human being. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, one of the first points I want to ask our guests is who are you but without using a name, a career, age, or, or, or background, I guess, who, who are you? What makes up who you are and your thoughts? I think the thing, I've started to think that the, the populace may be offended towards um, criminals, and I don't mean to the worst excess of the scale, but possibly it's because they don't want to get to know prisoners because at the end of the day, even some of those worst excess of, uh, excesses of the scale of, of, of criminal behaviour people will see that it's, it, it could be possible to them too, that some of these people are just normal people and fee, feel and see and have views the same as them. So maybe it's that idea that it, it's too close for the populace. They'd rather just push them away and be done with it for fear that they could, they could see the same traits in them. Absolutely. And you see the same thing being used in wartime, right, the dehumanisation of the enemy. So you see them as Charlie, in the Vietnam War, or yes. John Turk in World War One, and it's why it's so beautiful when uh, Wilfred Owen, who was a World War One poet, who actually uh, he was a captain in the army, and he uh, was killed in battle, uh, killed in action, um, a week almost to the hour before the armistice was called in 1918. Uh, he wrote a well, he wrote a lot of poems, and they're freaking brilliant. But he wrote a poem called "The Doppelganger." 
which is mm. Uh, mm. in a yeah. trench. One of the soldiers gets lost in the gas and stuff in the trenches and he meets an enemy soldier and it, it's him, you know, that they're the same. They're, it's his yeah. doppelganger. It's also interesting talking about World War Two, and I've thought this with the, the Warner and the Sandpaper debate um, <laughs> with the cricket. 15 they've worked out, and I don't know how these how they've done these studies, and I can't quote or cite anyone. Um, they believe that in this study, 15% of the soldiers in World War II could actually aim at a person and shoot. Right. So, what, what I contested some of those traits now that have gone into the extremes were the traits that were heralded as heroes in World War II, World War One, And I think the same as Warner. It's on a totally different landscape, I admit. But Warner, the same person that pushes the boundary and goes for extra and is not, not arrogant but wants to win, he was, he was the one that was winning us the war and going over the, over the barricades first in, in World War Two. Right. It's just that now those traits aren't needed. And I think that's something that our, that, that, that our show could help with. Six men are k- killing themselves daily on average around Australia that possibly there's like a dichotomy about how they feel and who they're supposed to be um, and, and the ideal that's that's purported in, in, in mainstream um, media. I watched um, Chris Hemsworth the other day in Extraction and it's all violence, it's all killing and he's a hero. And, and, and men who probably have violent traits or feel violent or just can't release that, are in that that schizophrenia almost that they can't. It, it, there's a schizophrenia happening with society that they're this person, but it can't be out, outside. Yeah, and I think that's where a lot of the trouble comes with. So, in moving forward, talking to some of those people about their ideas and and whether they're horrible fantasies that people are having, um, I think we should explore that too to try and help men um, in 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 how to just be a person without having to put all these conditions and labels on themselves. You know, you, you were talking about uh, Warner and it reminded me of, because you mentioned Vikings before, the berserker, the, the Viking berserker. So this was a, a character trait or a personality trait which was trained and brought out where people could go into a frenzy um, and and develop like superhuman strength. And we've, we, we've all heard and read stories about, like, you know, the mother who's seeing her child pinned under a car can lift the car, you know. And yeah. um, we know today that when people have psychotic episodes, they can often be, like, tasered 15 times and not lose consciousness and, like, throw off four police officers and so on. So... It's the circumstances as well, isn't it? If you're a Viking in battle, that's a useful thing. Yeah. Um, if you're 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 a dude hanging out in the valley, that is not a useful thing. Um, yes. But yeah, to understand that. So look, I'm going to ask you the question that you said we should ask, um, but without talking about career or history or any of that sort of stuff. Steve, who are you? Well. I'm Socratic in nature, so I really have no idea. <laughs> and and I, I actually think that's true because it, um, it's someone's window, Jahari's window, that we don't actually see all of who we are or how it's projected. I know now that um, I'm a person of deep introspection. I like to think of an idea and then break it down and see it from a different angle and try and understand everyone's perspective. I feel like... Um, 
there's a meditation that I try and do where I try and exist outside of myself as if um, I am no longer a single entity. I am part of this wider macro system and universe. So I guess who am I? I'm just the same vibrational force, the same atoms, the same energy of the rest of the cosmos. So you said you're 400 years old or, or not. <laughs> I'm like 8 billion years old. <laughs> I need a drink. <laughs> I always thought you are an old man. All right, now, you ask me now. Well, that is the deep philosophical question. Now, I don't know that people have asked themselves that, so it is an interesting one. So, Rob, tell me in 3,000 words or less, <laughs> who are you? Oh, well, I'm fond of saying, similarly, that I am a temporary confluence of matter and energy. Uh, what does that mean? It sounds profound, doesn't it? Look, who am I? I'm the holy fool, except I suspect I may just be a fool and not that holy. I'm very interested in big questions, metaphysics. I love community. I love people. I like to make people laugh. I like to make people think yeah um i'm often kind of lonely um and i'm never bored no you're never bored you're always doing stuff I, you're always posting <laughs> things you've got new tables and you're doing this and there's a there's a ginger cider or a beer you had the other night it, so I have a lab downstairs <laughs> where I um, I brew on a very small scale ginger beers and beers and sort of fruit wines and kombucha. Kombucha is a gateway drug. Never start brewing kombucha because it just never ends from there. I make liqueurs. I love to cook. Oh, yeah. Well, well, that's one question I think we should posit to everyone or push to everyone. The yeah. other one which I want to ask at the right time, you said you were lonely but not bored different things yeah um i want to ask people are they happy right so question are you happy well i'm happy sometimes i'm sad at other times i'm angry sometimes i'm confused sometimes i think um i think we overemphasize happiness in our culture and i think it was montaigne French philosopher. I know, um, I know him. Cool dude. Personally, well, you are 8 million years old. So um, <laughs> I think it was Montaigne who said something like, the greatest obstacle to happiness is the pursuit of happiness itself. So I think when people are obsessed with being happy, um, it actually makes them unhappy because it, all emotions are fleeting. And to me, all emotions are fleeting. Yeah. Like this too shall pass. When emotions stick around is when we hang on to them. Right and go. Oh my God, I'm I'm this, or I'm happy. I've got to hang on to this. Well, you can't. You know, physiologically, neurologically, you can't. So what I would say though is that now, uh, in my life currently, I have joy, and I do a bloody Eckertoller, little German Hobbit man, a deep, a feeling of deep joy. Yes, mate. Um, <laughs> yeah, the joy and happiness aren't the same thing. So happiness, sadness, all those emotions, they come and go. Joy is that sense of being alive. And I would say I haven't always had that in my life, but I, I, I have it now. There's probably more depth that 
I hope I will discover. Um, but yeah, I'd say. So what about you? Well, I, I guess it comes back to that other question that society in its in many ways is shaping who we should view ourselves as. Um, and that's creating that schizof- what I call a schizophrenic populace where our true selves can't be out in the public. And that doesn't have to be the violence and all the rest of it where we were at that time. But um, I definitely think, and this is what I want to try and delve into when I ask people, are you happy? Is it happiness of having uh, the partner, the house, the kids, the job? Because like you say, are they, I think they're all external things that can wash away, whereas happiness, joy has to be something that comes from within and that doesn't have that I don't think there should be anything external for that to exist within someone. Um, whether I'm happy or not, I've tried to push away different excess and different emotions and try and stay stable. That way, whether it's something that's great or something that I hate, I can try. I feel like I can try and stay centre, and not be moved or swayed by the external. But I, I think so that, that I, that's probably a good way to put it. That yeah, I do feel joyous or happy or content or grateful all at the same time, and it's not an unhappiness. Excellent. And on that profound and very stoic note. Please come and stop us from talking all the time um, and we will ask you those and other probing questions and, and hopefully have a laugh while we do it between the butcher and the block. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.